0: stand to honor the personal work of our Lord is, rec- is recorded in the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the fourth chapter, glory to you, O Lord. This text today is the basis for today's message. So Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus Weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
1: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of my favorite aspects of John's gospel is that he focuses on the interactions that Jesus has with other people that results in massive life transformation. Jesus loves to find us where we are and moves us into a relationship with him that causes our lives to be radically altered. And today, the way of the cross leads Jesus through the, the foreign territory of Samaria. Now, Samaria is in between uh, Judea and Jerusalem in the south, and Galilee in the north. Right in the middle is Samaria. This is the location of the well where, where Jacob met Rachel after fleeing his brother Esau. That when Rachel arrived at the well, Jacob rolled the stone away from the well's mouth and watered her flock. Later, the Assyrians captured Samaria about 700 years before Jesus, and they deported all the Israelites of substance and settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with some of the remaining Jews and the remaining Israelites. After the exile, however, the Jews who were removed returned to their homeland, and they viewed these Samarians now as racial half-breeds who had confounded their pure religion with other religious ideas. Now, about 400 years before Jesus, the Samaritans erected a temple on Mount Gerizim in opposition to the temple that they worshipped in Jerusalem. And towards the end of the second century before Jesus, Judea destroyed that temple on Mount Gerizim. Now, all of these combination of events just fueled animosity between Israel and Samaria. Now, last week, we talked about and heard the man Nicodemus, this Pharisee, who was this very, very well-established religious person, and today, we have the exact opposite with the woman at the well. She's the outcast. Now, there are obvious outcasts in our world, those who are socially awkward, the people who who don't quite fit in, or those who disagree sharply with our conservative religious theology, or those who live lives that are steeped in sin that is very visible. But there's also hidden outcasts, probably here in this room today. Those who are overwhelmed by shame and attend church but believe that God's grace is for everyone else except for you. Those who sit with their believing spouse, but they themselves have withdrawn from God. Or those who are burdened with a hidden sin that they're not yet willing to surrender. Those who are easily offended or feel judged or rejected by God. Here's the good news. Thankfully, whether you're a Nicodemus type of person or a woman at the well type of person, Jesus interacts with both. And the reality is that all of us are somewhere on that spectrum between the two, somewhere between that Pharisee and the woman at the well. Both need Jesus. And Jesus loves both and everyone in between. Jesus loves the outcast, and Jesus casts out shame. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. Now, thirst is a, is a metaphor for, for longing. And Jesus uses it in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Unfortunately, we don't always thirst for righteousness. We thirst for success or acceptance or power or money or lust. And every time we try to find satisfaction in anything apart from Jesus, we're left wanting parched even more than we were before. But with Jesus, with the living water, we are completely and totally refreshed and renewed. See, the satisfaction of our thirst, the satisfaction our redemption is in full. Jesus is enough. And not the kind of enough that's just barely enough. It's the enough that is overflowing that wells up inside of us and pours over the edges as the psalmist David says, my cup overflows. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And it seems like she's thinking very, very literally that that her need, expressly, is not to have to come to this well and be ridiculed or leered at or jeered at because of who she is and what she's done. Her shame makes her want to not have to go to this well anymore. Having to come to the well was a daily reminder of her failure. You see, she thought her greatest need in order to escape her shame was to no longer have to come to the well. But Jesus knew that her greatest need was to be able to be free from her shame, for her shame to be cast out. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and and come here. And if it were me in her shoes, this is where dread would start to well up in my heart. If only you knew who I was and where I've been and what I've done, you you would probably withdraw that offer, Jesus. See, I, I knew this was too good to be true. Certainly her marital past and extramarital present would exclude her from his offer. And Jesus knows that this will bring her to the end of herself, bring her to the bottom, which is exactly where he longs to find her. And the woman answered him, I I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now the dread that's welling up in her just melts away to pure shame. Jesus knows. He probably knows even more than what he's revealed. What if he knows everything? And you see, Jesus, He does. He knows it all. He knows what we've done. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. And that's terrifying. It should exclude us from His offer of grace. It should cause Jesus to run away and flee our immorality. But He stays. He reaches out. He has compassion to cause His living water to be a spring inside of us to well up. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. It's amazing that this woman, this Samaritan, has faith that the Messiah will come. Messiah, the, the anointed one, comes for the the express purpose to save the world now here's the setup jesus has led this woman through this conversation brought her to the the end of herself so that he can lift her up jesus said to her i who speak to you am he and suddenly everything clicks into place the truth dawns on her and she is flooded with joy shame melts away and is replaced by pure joy now when this happens when jesus casts out shame from the outcast two things happen in our text today number one we worship in spirit and in truth and number two he causes a spring to well up inside of us and it changes who we are so number one worship in spirit and in truth The woman said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where our people ought to worship. Almost as if she's saying, all right, messenger of God, I know that you speak truth from him. Maybe you can clear up this issue for me. Where are we to worship? I spent a brief amount of time as a realtor selling homes and one of the first things that century one century 21 taught me that there are three most important rules of real estate. Location, location, location. This woman is asking, "Okay, messenger of God, where am I to worship?" this big question in her heart where is God present is it here at Mount Gerizim or is he present in the temple in Jerusalem if it were us asking Jesus it would be where are we to worship father in the sanctuary or in founder's hall or in the chapel and Jesus said to her woman believe me the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father you see her great big question that's inside of her is totally irrelevant No one has ownership of the presence of God. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Worship can occur anywhere and everywhere. And then Jesus says this this hour, the hour of the cross, his death, the location where he said, I thirst. Because of that amazing sacrifice that he made, He creates a spring now that wells up inside of us. See, worship isn't something that's done only in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim, but on Mount Calvary. Wherever we worship the Savior who died on the cross there, that is worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus says, But the hour is coming and is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Our purpose, our meaning, our what we are made to do is to glorify God in worship. True worship has very little to do with bright, shiny places like the sanctuary or, or dark places like Founders Hall. It has little to do with the style of music. It has everything to do with worshiping in truth and in spirit. Worshiping in truth, that's perhaps a little bit easier than worshiping in spirit. Worshiping in truth is worshiping what is true, the true God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not in idols, but in the triune God. To worship in truth means that we teach and confess and believe in the three ecumenical creeds because they're in accordance with the Word of God. This is worshiping in truth. But worshiping in spirit, what what is that? Worshiping in spirit is the opposite of just simply going through the motions. It's a full acknowledgement that we are in the presence of God, that his countenance is upon us. That we are impacted by his power, his majesty, his compassion. That the words of the sermon penetrate your hearts. That the music stirs your soul. That prayer becomes this lifeline that connects you directly to the Father in heaven. That The sacraments that we will share in just a few moments water and nurture our faith and grow it and move us to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. That's worshiping in spirit and truth. The second thing that happens when God takes the outcast and casts out our shame is that we become these springs of living water. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now this is, this is my favorite part of the text because I love that her immediate response is to go and tell others. Right? She doesn't take her water jar, turn it upside down, sit down and just say, Jesus, tell me all things. I want to know more. She leaves her water jar where it is and runs into town because she has to tell the good news that the Messiah has come. It reminds me so much of the shepherds that when they received the announcement from the angels, they ran to go see Jesus for themselves. And when they did, they ran and told all that they came across that the Savior has been born. You see, when you have your shame cast out, and that's what you do. You tell other people. She couldn't hold herself back. And the, and the town responded. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, and many more believed because of his word. There is great power in the word of God. The Holy Spirit works to to awaken our hearts to the power of life in Christ, and the Spirit never returns void. Jesus loves the outcasts. Jesus casts out shame. And this causes us to worship in spirit and truth and become fountains of living water that pours into our world. May this bring you peace that passes all understanding and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.